Have you ever thought about why you love the people that you love? Well, in this chapter here from 1 John chapter 4, we're going to take a look at how God is love. And really that's shown as an example as to why we as Christians love. See, there is supposed to be something different about us who are Christians compared to people who are just in the world. Let's take a look at this chapter and let's see that difference. And let's also see how God is love and how that is displayed to us every single day of our lives. Let's take a look at the text. 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. So here in these first few verses of this chapter, we see already that there is supposed to be a difference between us as Christians and then those who are in the world. We're told here from the very first verse to test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Now, I believe that how we should take this about, you know, testing the spirits, um, you know, one way to look at that, of course, is in the sense of that they are called spirits. But do you recognize that that spirits are actually behind a lot of the different things that we do? I mean, for example, a lot of what we do as Christians, it's motivated by God and God is a spirit. But God is not the only spirit who is in the world. And God is not the only spirit who is influencing people around us. You know, there are a, a lot of other spirits, some good, some not so good, that are influencing the people around us. Just like there are other people around us who are influencing other people around us. But we need to test all of these things and to see whether or not they are from God. Now, this goes along with, you know, if you're going to hear um, someone who is preaching what they call the Word of God. Well, we're supposed to test the spirits and see whether or not that really is from God. Is their gospel message really from God? Is it the true gospel that we are called to obey? So we do have this really challenge, uh, th this command that we are to test the spirits and make sure that they really are from God. And the reason because of that is that there were false prophets who'd gone out in the world. Now, I know that from time to time in history, Christians start getting a little concerned about false prophets and saying, oh, well, you know, it's, it's getting bad. And, and I'm not trying to take away from the, the times that it has gotten really bad in, in throughout church history. But I do want us to take a step back and recognize there have been numerous times since the time of Jesus Christ in which there have been a lot of false prophets who have come and who go. Uh, that's what happens with false prophets. They do come. They do go. Uh, the ones who remain are the ones who are uh, called by Christ. And that's the spirit that is going to remain because God is spirit 
and he is the most powerful spirit and the one who will remain through all this. So yes, there have been false prophets uh, throughout the decades, throughout the centuries, since Jesus Christ, there, there have been false prophets. In fact, if you want to really open this up, you can recognize there were false prophets during the time of Jesus Christ, weren't there? I mean, isn't that a large uh, part of who he condemned? Is he, he said that, you know, they're not acting the way that they should. They're not following God. Well, we need to be aware of that in our time because, well, this is the time in which we live. This is the time in which we are called to test the spirits. We need to see whether or not they're all there, that there are false prophets that are around us. But how do we tell? How can we see if someone or a spirit is from God? Well, verse 2 tells us that. You know, this is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Okay, you know, that would be something. That, that's a great introduction that, that you might be wondering. Okay, so how can we recognize whether or not this spirit comes from God? Well, here it is. Every spirit that acknowledges Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. So a lot of this has to do with how these spirits, how these prophets, so to speak, how they interact with Jesus Christ. Anybody who is going to belittle Jesus Christ, uh, they're not a true prophet of God. Because if we are going to be people who are following Jesus Christ, then Jesus Christ is wonderful, and we have got to recognize the, the wonderful part that he played in history and the wonderful part that he continues to play in history. If we're going to follow him, we've got to recognize how great he is and how important he is to the gospel message. And we can also recognize that he has come in the flesh. Yes, he was and is God, but he did come in the flesh for a reason. And that reason is very important for us to recognize and for us to teach. That doesn't mean that you're going to understand everything about that. Because, yes, it's difficult that Jesus Christ, he was and is God, but yet he was also a human being. So how does that even work? And, yeah, there can be difficulties in that. I understand that. But that doesn't take away from the fact that it's true. And, and he did that. We also see this very interesting word in verse 3. That the ones who, um, the spirits that do not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. But this is the spirit of the Antichrist. So we've already looked at previously in 1 John that there were other Antichrists. You know, I, I don't know exactly why, but for whatever reason, when Christians talk about um, Antichrist, they oftentimes talk about just one, as if there's only one Antichrist that's going to come at some point. Um, at least that's how I hear it oftentimes. But what we find from 1 John is the fact that he even talks about Antichrist during his own day. And now he's talking about the spirit of the Antichrist. Keep in mind, this word Antichrist, don't get too confused about you know what you might have heard or what you might have even thought about what the Antichrist is going to be. Look at this. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. Antichrist, it literally is a combination of two words. Anti or anti, that means against, and then it's Christ. This literally is just saying that it is a spirit who is against Christ. I think that sometimes whenever we actually look at these words, they can make a whole lot more sense to us. And this is not a scary term that we need to be uh, afraid of and think that there's going to be something to do with, you, you know, this, this character is going to be revealed and then all of a sudden judgment day is going to come. Um, well, 
when you look at this, you find out there were antichrists during the days of John. And you can be assured that there are antichrists and there are people and there are prophets who come with the spirit of the antichrist even today. In fact, he talks about it later on in this verse that they even now is already in the world. He recognized that that spirit was already in the world and that spirit was working in the world. You think that spirit is working in the world today? It only makes sense that that spirit is still working in the world today and still trying to drive people away from Christ. We've got to recognize what that spirit looks like and the different faces and the different ways that that spirit can reveal itself because it, that spirit can get pretty uh, creative as to how it can hide itself. But it doesn't change the fact that it still is against Christ. We are called to follow Christ. So now as we look at verses uh, four through six, we start to see about how great our God is and how wonderful God as the spirit is. We find out here in verse four, I, I love that there's this, this song that I uh, typically um, you know, would sing with the, the kids down front in between uh, our Bible class and then also our worship. It was, you know, first John four, four, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. It literally is saying this last part about first John four, four, and that is the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. This should be good news. This should be news that really gives us quite a bit of confidence to recognize no matter how bad things might seem out in the world, no matter how hard it might seem to be able to follow Christ, we still know the one who is in us, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. That should do something about our fear, our anxiety, and really the way that we respond to, to people and spirits and prophets who are out in the world. We've got to recognize the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. We can recognize the spirit. We can test the spirits. In fact, it's not just that we can do this. We are called to do this, even from verse one. But let's find out because the rest of this chapter goes into great details about how wonderful this one who is in us, that he's greater than the one who, who is in the world. Who is the one who is in us? He is God and God is love. Let's take a look at this love together. Now verses seven through 12 of 1 John 4. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. I mean, this is wonderful message right here, talking about how God is love. We see this numerous times even in this chapter. We see it most uh, specifically mentioned here in verse 8. That last part is that God is love. But we also find out something in verse 12 that I think that you need to kind of look at all of this together and recognize, yes, God is love. But then verse 12, it says, well, no one has ever seen God. Okay, so if nobody's ever seen God, then how do we see this love? How do we know this love? Well, we actually find out something about that. So no one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, which we are called to do, if we love one another, then God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And that is how, in some sense, at least, we can see God because we can see 
his actions. God is love, and we can see love uh, between us whenever we love one another. Uh, we also find out a few other things. Let's let's take a look at some of these verses together. We find out from verse 7, this call to love one another. It's not a new command. It's been from the beginning. We looked at this last week, and we've looked at this, I guess technically we've looked at it every week that we've looked at something from 1 John. We've seen that love is a big thing of what John is trying to tell us here. And so we see this, this kind of call to let us love one another. Okay, let us love one another. We get that. Why do we love one another? Well, it actually tells us there, for love comes from God. So if we're going to claim that we are following Christ, that we are trying to be like Christ, that's what the word Christian means. It means like Christ. So if we are like Christ, love comes from God, then we should be displaying uh, love to those people around us. And if you want to know what love is and how it's demonstrated, look at verse 10. You get this wonderful definition. This is love. Okay, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, there's a few times in this chapter that we actually see this is a reason. This is the reason for us to love. It's because of the love that God has already shown us. And, and that's what we get at here. This is love. It's not so much that we love God, but it's that God loves us. He demonstrates how his love is and how great his love is for us. How did he do that? By sending his son for that atoning sacrifice. That is what brings us peace and allows us to be with God and allows us to accept this love and share this love with people around us. Then we see this, once again, kind of a call. Uh, you can call it a command if you want. Whenever you see something like, let us love one another, um, that is kind of urging us to get these things. You can say that that would be a command to love one another. And here we see that uh, in verse 11, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. See, all this is, is coming around and we're recognizing God is love. He's shown us his love. Well, if he's shown up as if he has shown us his love, then we need to be showing that same type of love to those people around us. Let me also make mention here before I forget uh, about the, the type of love and what this love is that's described here. Um, actually, you know, in English, we just, we, we have a lot of different ways that we express love. Uh, in Greek, they actually had different words that showed up for love. And you've probably even perhaps heard a sermon on agape, uh, which is just one of the Greek words for love. And that's that's kind of one of the most prominent ones here in this chapter. Uh, whenever it says that God is love, that's the type of love that is used there. It is that God is agape. He is agape love, that type of love. But then you might be wondering, okay, so it's all well and good that you're saying agape, but what does agape even mean? Well, it's my understanding that actually the Greek term agape during the time of uh, the writing of the New Testament it didn't have as much of a given meaning as to exactly what it meant. I believe that's one of the reasons why they used it, because they were trying to figure out how do we communicate how great God's love is? So they used a word that didn't have as much kind of, I guess you might say that it didn't have as much baggage connected to it. It didn't have as much of a, of a very defined definition. Maybe that's a weird way of saying it, but not a very specific definition. And they used that word to give it a specific definition. This is the type of love that God showed. It's this agape love. What does it look like? 
keep reading all these instances and you'll find out uh, what that agape love is. Now, that's not to kind of like overwhelm you or really think, oh, well, I need to learn about the word agape. No, that's not important. What is important is look about all these times whenever we find God acting out on this love and showing this love, and you'll find that definition for agape love. It's not a word that you just have to go into the dictionary and just look it up and try to find out what the meaning is there. No, just look at the occasions that it's used, and you will find out exactly what this type of love is. And this type of love that we are called to have for one another is this agape love. Um, ultimately, it tends to be love that is seeking the well-being of other people, uh, not so much your own well-being first. You know, if you love somebody else and if you show them uh, something, you know, if, if you do something nice for them because it benefits you, that's not agape love here. Agape love is when you do something nice for somebody else and something good for somebody else, and it doesn't necessarily benefit you at all. It, it just, it benefits that other person. That's the type of love is looking at for other people, uh, looking out for the benefit of other people. Okay, I believe I, I've, I've covered all these things from, from these verses, so let's continue on to verse 13. Verses 13 through 18 now. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Now, I'm not trying to say that these things and trying to demonstrate this, this type of love, I'm not saying that that's easy. I'm just saying that's what we as Christians are called to do. So you might look at this and you might think, okay, well, that's all, all well and good that we can read these things, but that's kind of hard to do. Yeah, that, that's kind of the point because we, we have to do this with the help of God. God is love. Don't you think he's capable of being able to help us love one another? I mean, after all, you find in this language about how, well, you know, okay, God is love. Okay, whoever lives in love uh, lives in God and God is in them. Okay, look at that in verse 16. Isn't that wonderful that God is in us? He lives in us and he will work through us. And he will help us in order to show this love as well. We, of course, have to put forth, forth this effort. We see again in verse 16 that God is love. That statement is made at least in verse 8 and then in verse 16. And, and technically, I, I would say you can kind of say that there's a huge connection in a lot of these other places as well that show us that God is love. We see in verses, uh, well, really just in verse 18 here at the bottom, this talk about fear. You know, there is no fear in love. That can be difficult for us to say. And whenever you look at what's being stated, the whole reason for that is if we have perfect love, we don't have fear. So God is love. If we perfectly have this love that God is within us, then there is no need for fear. There is no need to be afraid of these things. Why is that? Well, look at this. Because fear has to do with punishment. 
the one who fears is not made perfect in love. Isn't that a great thing that we can strive for? Maybe even perhaps here recently, you've been having a little bit of what you might call anxiety, what you might call even a little bit of fear and, and a little bit of just uncertainty about just the situation in which we're living right now in, in the world. Guess what? It's not really new. I mean, it might be new to you and this, you might be feeling some things right now that, you know, you haven't felt before. And maybe there is an element of fear that is, you know, starting to creep up on you that, that you haven't experienced before. But look at this. We see that what we are called to do is to have this perfect love. And this perfect love, it drives out this fear. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. How do we get perfect in love? Verse 16, we live in love and then we also live in God and God is in us. You see this help that he can provide us. He's already shown it to us. He's already done all of these, these different ways that he has shown us his love, uh, largely because he gave us his son. But even more than that, you know, he continues to show us his love in very, very many different ways. This is how we can overcome fear. And finally, in this chapter, we have a few more uh, statements here and, and the importance about this love that we are called to show. So let's look at that together. Verses 19 through 21. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. You look at this again, we see in verse 19, this is not new, and you might even think that I've already said this uh, a time or two in this chapter. Um, I have. That's because John did. We love because he first loved us. You might even recognize that from songs that we sing. You know, we, we sing actually quite a few of these phrases. I guess I, I could have made mention of some of those as we've gone throughout this chapter, but yeah, several uh, phrases in this chapter are phrases that show up in our songs. It's a great chapter. It's a wonderful chapter that shows us God is love and we love because he first loved us. If we can, can live our lives in such a way that we have this perfect love, then it drives out this fear. It drives out these doubts. It drives out all of these negative things. And I would say it also drives out these spirits that are false prophets, you know, the false spirits and the false things that we need to stay away from, the spirit of the Antichrist. If we have love and if we live in God and live in love, then we don't have to worry about those spirits. They don't have ultimate control over us. Only God does. God is love. God is this wonderful spirit. But we find out that we can't just make it all about just what we might call spiritual things. You know, with we as Christians, we've got to recognize that, that we are spiritual beings, but we are also human beings. And what that means is, is we've got elements of both. We, we have a spirit. We are a spirit, however you kind of want to, want to phrase that. But yet, you know, we're a human being also. And, and because of that, we can't just look at, okay, well, we've got to love God. And then if we love God, we're doing great. No, if we're going to love God, that also includes that we have to love our brothers and sisters. I mean, look at this command in verse 21. The very last uh, verse of this chapter is that anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So if we claim that we love God, we've got to be able to love also our brothers and sisters. 
Isn't it very similar to what Jesus said whenever he was asked what the greatest commandment, he answered to love God, but then he also said to love your neighbor as yourself. It's the same thing that John is repeating right here. And why is that so important that we love our brothers and sisters? Well, you find out in verse 20 that if you don't love your brother and sister whom you have seen, then how could you possibly love God whom you have not seen? See, we have to recognize that our brothers and sisters that we come in contact with here on this earth, they are made in the image of God. No matter how different they might look from one another, or no matter how different they might look from you, they are made in the image of God. We are called to love them. If we can't love them, then how could we possibly love God? Let's live up to this calling. Let's love God, but let's also love our brother and sister. Let's also kind of strive to have this perfect love and perfectly live in this love so that we can live in God and that God would live in us.